Got it. Check one, check two. We got it. Excellent. Okay. I've got a message to give you this morning, and I'm telling you what, if the last hour and a half is any indication, uh, there are forces that do not want you to hear this message, the victory in the struggle. Uh, as you know, if you've been coming for any length of time at all, we've been going slowly through Romans. First 11 chapters are all about thinking properly about the grace that God has for us, that as sinners, we're covered by God's grace. It's a massive love story. And then last week, beginning in chapter 12, the, chap- or the book of Romans changes into how then shall we live. It's called the ethics, that our behavior is shaped by right belief. So today, message called Victory in the Struggle. And every time I preach, I pray that one person leaves this room totally changed by the massive love of God. Just turn to somebody on your left and right and say, maybe it's you. Just look at them, say, maybe it's you. And then look back at them and say, nah, I think it's me. I think it's me. Because God's got a word this morning. It's called Victory in the Struggle, Romans 12. As you just heard the scripture read, this is a whole sermon series. We've got 30 minutes to go after. Let me pray and we'll do just that. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. We pray for your victory. We pray for your hope. We pray right now that your spirit would be heavy in this room, would be moving us to a place of knowledge about how you've gifted us. Lord, that we would know that our life must be lived with love and that as we leave this place, we'd be uh, renewed by the call to live out this faith, to overcome evil with the radical love of you in our lives. Lord Jesus, we love you. We're committed to hearing from you now. And all God's people said, amen. Romans 12, 4 through 21, victory in the struggle. Victory in the struggle. I've been cleaning out my office as a kind of New Year's resolution. Found an old journal. An old journal are fun to, any, any journalers in the room? Um, okay, a bunch of us. And, and you keep old journals. Sometimes it's interesting to go back. And I found this journal from the time when I was driving around the country America. I was 21 years old. I'd started dating this girl uh, named Heather. And I uh, was out on the road. And it was a time that when I looked back, uh, it was you know, a time of great joy and also some struggles uh, because every journey is like that. And uh, as I was reading my journal, it was, just, it was so incredible to look back on the struggle of that journey. And, and I came across lyrics to a song that I wrote uh, during that time on my guitar as I was driving around the country. And uh, the lyrics go like this, and, and it's not a great song, but it'll help me illustrate the sermon. Um, I question life all the time. There is confusion in my mind. How to live and how to grow, how to live a life of knowing my God. There's gotta be a better way I want to find my way in this life. Lord God, help me change the world. Now, I could sing that for you, and I'd really be distracting for you. It was so interesting. I was, I was 22 years old when I penned those words, 20-some years ago in a van driving around the country. And I will confess to you, when I found the journal, when I read the words, when I sat in my office, now 44 years old, I would confess I had no idea of the challenges of the journey ahead. I, know, I had no idea how the struggle would be, the struggle is real, you know, the struggle for hope, the struggle for purpose, the struggle for meaning. I was this young man that wanted to, to go change the world and drive around the country in the van. And in that way, all of us, though we have way different stories, we can kind of tap into that story. 
Because if I'm in high school or I'm a senior citizen in the room, all of us carry around a boatload of places that we want God to use us to impact the next generation. We want God to impact our own stories. We want to be so overcome by the love of God that the struggles that I face may be overcome, might have new purpose. That in the journey forth, that with this new knowledge, that my life would be transformed into different behavior. It doesn't matter if you're somebody just checking out the faith or you've been a Christian for decades. We're the same in that way. The victory in the struggle is oftentimes questioned when we're in the midst of the battle. And as we turn to Romans 12, Paul will will encourage us by the end of this chapter that, that we are in such a struggle and that as we live out this new knowledge that changes our, our actual living into behaving as we go forth, he says that in the actual living of our life, we'll be changing the world. We will be overcoming evil with good, he says. Now that, I mean, those are, those are bold words. For a message, I mean, that's like superhero language. That's the next Marvel series. You, and this is the scriptures, Do not be overcome by evil, he says, but overcome evil with good in how you live your life. I had no idea at 22 years old in that journal the challenge and the hopefulness of living a life towards that end. And Romans 12 is supposed to bring to us this this perspective of optimism and joy right in the middle of the struggle of your life. Right in the middle of the actual life you live, Paul says, victory can seem far. But with me, Christ inside of you, you will know victory. And so there's this this perspective shift that happens in chapter 12 on, on the ethics, the behaviors of God's people that can be truly helpful to stoke the passion of your love story of Christ. Pastor Raul asked me this morning, what do you want him to hear? I want to have you here this morning that you're in a radical love story and there is a struggle for your hopefulness and your joy, but you can overcome in the struggle into new behaviors that show that God is for you. That's the first 11 chapters of Romans that faith is this great gift. We receive it by grace and then we grow into this calling. And then in chapter 12 and forward, we have this big view of the love of God and it's changing me on the journey to Christ. And Romans 12 kind of brings these big themes out. There's so much here, but big themes about joy and a life being meant to display love. And what's really interesting is to remember that this is more than just an inspirational talk as you start the new year, that this is a call to believe in our culture that we matter one to another. That when Paul was talking about here about knowing your gifts and having different gifts, he was talking not to an individual, he was talking to the church He was saying, this is your story together, that you would experience victory in the struggle, that you would overcome together. And so today I want to talk to you about our culture as a church a bit. And we're going to talk about these these three different values about knowing and about living and about doing, to know your giftedness, to live a life of love, and to do the good together. There is a struggle for our faith, church. And our very hearts that can be one as we know our giftedness, that as we live out the stuff that we have in our heads and as we do this life together. Let's look at the first point of our outline to, to know our giftedness is to change the world. 
The stuff we know matters a great deal. Look at verses four, five, six, seven, eight. Paul says, you have a gift. This much is true. Everyone is gifted. We can drop the comparison game now. A couple weeks ago, I preached on the parable of talents. One, two, and five. It's all enough. That bag of gold was more than enough to get each of those people through their life. And we spend a lot of time comparing gifts. Let it go. And focus on the gift that you've been given. Paul says in verse 3, take this honest look at yourself. And then verse 4 and 5. Look at verse 4 and 5 of Romans 12. Verse 4 and 5. For just as each of us is one body with many members, these members do not have all the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body. Each member belongs to all the others. This is a very familiar metaphor for people that have been coming to the church. We've heard this one before. And so pick your metaphor. It's a flower with many petals. It's a car with many parts. It's a town with many neighborhoods. Paul is saying, however you need to get it, make the connection. You don't live alone. Most scholars say that in the, in the Roman Empire that this same, this same metaphor about being the body with the emperor being the head of the body was very common knowledge. So Paul is adopting that cultural paradigm and saying just as you think the empire is a body with, with the emperor on top, no, no, the church is that body with Christ at our head. Find the metaphor that works, but remember that we belong one to another. Verse 5, we belong one to another. In Christ, we form one body, and we belong to all the others. Now, that's a, that's a crazy statement, but let me say something even stronger to you. One cannot be Christ-like alone. One cannot be Christ-like. The call to follow Jesus, you cannot do this alone. Oh, that's... I might find myself a little bothered by that, Scott. I mean, I don't, you know, it's saved by grace, sola, you know, scriptura, and, and the grace of God, like, it's all just about me. And yeah, I know, I understand theoretically that I'm supposed to be in relationship, but my salvation doesn't belong one to another. But I, I want to challenge that notion, church, because you can pursue godliness and, ho- and holiness, certainly, but the call to Christ always moves you from me to we, that's it. like, read the gospel slowly. Christ was always calling people to understand change and transformation, and then he was bringing them into new community. The great command, love God, leave it there. He doesn't. He says, love each other. I will marry this commitment to loving me, says God, and loving one another. The vertical and horizontal love are one in Christ. He's always calling our paradigm to change from me to we. And so the call to Christ-likeness means that I'm called to believe I matter to the community. And Paul is setting this up in, in Romans 12. If we were to preach all of Romans 12 in one message, we would, we would not pause at three. Because verse three, if your scriptures are open, it says, do some self-reflection. Don't think you don't matter at all. That's false humility we said last week is actually the greatest form of pride. No, know where you stand and then use your gift and know that you belong one to another. You're connected. You're connected. Look at verse 16 of Romans 12. We jump ahead. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. This network of relationship is all throughout this chapter on gifts and behavior. We belong to each other. And then he gets into the actual 
Well, let me, let me pause there because there's some yeah buts in the room. Yeah, yeah, but I, let me understand more about this, Scott. Why must gifts be understood in community? Two reasons. The first is this. Because when you understand that the gift that you have must be understood in a Christian community is that you will know that you don't have the full package of giftedness. You don't have all the truth. You don't have all the fullness of Christ alone. This will keep you humble and this will keep you hungry. If you know that you matter one to another when somebody has a different perspective, you will enter into relationship differently with something to learn because you're so believed, man, I'm one, I'm one petal of this flower. I'm one part of the vehicle. I'm one neighborhood in this town. You will believe in the fullness of Christ. You need each other. You alone do not have all the gifts. And secondly, that you will know that your behavior must be informed by a love for each other. Or as Peter Parker says in Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. You are responsible to relationship. It's interesting, tomorrow many of us will celebrate the life of Dr. King in many different ways. Taking the day off school, marching downtown. Some of our pastors and leaders are going to a breakfast down at the, at the Sheridan. It's interesting that one of Dr. King's most passionate things he was, he was teaching was about the beloved community. That this beloved community was based on a biblical call to justice and opportunity and loving others. And so the call to transformation, said Dr. King, was about new community. It's, I learned this this week. I'm embarrassed I didn't know this. It's something kids in our elementary school are learning all the time. But Martin Luther King Jr. was five when his name was changed. His actual birth name, anybody know what it was? Michael. He was born Michael. His father was a pastor, Michael, senior. His father, Michael, went on a European trip sent by his congregation. He was a pastor, Ebenezer Baptist, uh, in Atlanta. And Michael, the father, uh, went to Europe and was actually in Germany when Hitler had taken power, a year after Hitler had taken power. Fascinating. And it was the church, the professing church. This is before the neo-Nazis had, you know, kind of decimated the faith system in Germany. But when Michael King Sr., Martin Luther's father, was in Germany and was impressed with the witness of behavior of the church so inspired by the reformer Martin Luther, he came back to Atlanta and he changed his name and he changed the name of his five-year-old son. You're no longer little Mike. You're Martin Luther King Jr. So inspired by the things we think, changing the way we behave. New community. Look at verse 6, 7, and 8 about the gifts. Now, again, many of you are like, wow, you know, I'm familiar with the, the different gifts. There's really four different sets of gifts in scriptures. There's this from Romans 12. There's 1 Corinthians 12. There's 1 Peter 4. There's Ephesians 4. Some scholars say that Romans 12 is the truest articulation of spiritual giftedness. That the other articulations are uses of gifts and articulations of gifts. And I don't actually care that much about that argument. It is interesting that there's not one specific list of spiritual gifts because each gift is, uh, gift set is a little bit different. Because each gift set was given by Paul or Peter to different communities. Because ultimately, it's not the specificity, specificity of the gift that is uh, the most important, says Paul. It's the way in which we live that out. So know your gift, but then look at verse 6, 7, and 8. It's, it's as we live it out in this new community. Verse 6, we have different gifts. Everyone's gifted, but we're different. According to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, the prophesy in accordance with your faith. 
If it's serving, then serve. Teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's to giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. He's like, if then. Like, I'm, I'm talking to a church I haven't even been to yet. He's penning this letter to the church in Rome. Like, whatever your gift is, then, yeah, know your gift. Know you don't have all the gifts. Know you belong to a community, so you'll need each other. But, but use it. The, the gifts. The, the, and what's interesting here, he says, by the grace given. Grace in the Greek is the word charis. And the gifts here is, is charisma or charismata. Same root. That the gift, says Paul, it's all grace. It, it's all a gift. You didn't earn it. So step into it. No, you don't have it all. That'll teach you to be humble. It'll, you'll, you'll know that you need other people in community. But then, says he's Paul, whatever your gifts are, then live a life where you're using it. Know you're gifted. Know it. And we have an image, it's also in your, in your bulletin, the gifts of faith, prophesying, encouraging, serving, giving, teaching, leading, leading showing mercy. We can really, I mean, again, this could be a, a whole sermon series. I want to just lift up two, because I found this interesting as I, as I studied. Uh, the first thing I want to just lift up is this leading, leading. Oh, okay, I'm a leader. I led, you know, in different capacities in the business world, now in the church world. But the, the, the actual word that we translate as leading is this Greek word, uh, proestami, and it actually means to care for. And interestingly enough, in the, in the early church, caring for others was leadership. Like the leaders were just the ones that served the most. They're the ones that fed the most people. You want to lead? Wonderful. That means you feed others the most. And we've kind of reversed it where it's like if you lead, we like to delegate to others. And there's nothing wrong with that. But leadership, says Paul here, is a spiritual gift, is the ones that want to serve. If you're a leader in this room, may your life be marked with radical service of others. That's how your leadership will be forged in your marriage, with your children, in your classroom. For those that want the biggest platform, says Paul, will be those that serve the most. And we remember Jesus in Luke 22 you're not to be like the other leaders. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. That's like leadership. And look at this final word here, mercy. In view of mercy, we should be showing mercy. What's interesting here, the Greek here on the showing mercy is L-E-A-O, which is a beautiful word, L-E-A-O. If I have a fifth child, I'm gonna name them, boy or girl, L-E-A-O. It's the only place in the New Testament where Paul's writing, I should say, where Paul uses this Greek word, L-E-A-O, to show mercy. And it's actually a word that gets used several times in the Old Testament about God. For he has shown mercy to me. And because I've been a radical recipient of a great mercy. But Paul's saying here, with this letter to the church in Rome, hey, because God has given you this grace, this chorus, live it out in gifts and be radical in how you lead others through service and how you show mercy through your behavior. Now, I just have this question. It's in your bulletin, too. If you had to identify one gift here, what would be yours? What would be your gift? Is it prophesying, which is kind of seeing what God's up to in the world, or encouraging others, or serving, or giving, or leading through service, or teaching, or showing mercy? Like, as you leave today, you should be able to turn to someone like, what was yours? Because every one of us in the room, you, you have to circle one of those things. 
I recognize like, oh man, I'm just beginning the journey. My, my, my giftedness feels a little bit short-sighted. But Paul's saying is don't get hung up by the amount of the gift. Get encouraged in how you want to use it. Or as Madeline Ingle says in A Wrinkle of Time, we can't take credit for our talents. It's how we use them that counts. It's how we use them that counts. So Paul says, whatever you have, man, just use it. Know you're gifted. Know it. You have been gifted by God. Sometimes we get kind of stuck in these places of indecision because we're trying to discern the gifts or we're caught comparing ourselves to the lives of others or we're not sure because of the struggle I'm in if the, if the gift is still real or we somehow think because I'm gifted, I shouldn't struggle. Man, do you miss it? Because the very chapter that talks about gifts and behavior, it's all about struggle. No, the scriptures are absolutely consistent. This life will pertain struggles, but use your gift to the glory of God. I had this professor at Whitworth College through the pine trees of my spring of my senior year, and he got in my van one day. We were driving to go spend some time together, and I was like, well, I could do this, and I could do that, and I was kind of like metaphorically stuck in this place of uncertain about where to go, and he looked at me. And he didn't say shut up, but I just stopped talking because he's like 70 at the time. This man of immense wisdom, Dr. Oakland, he just says, you have so much time. You have so much time. But get going. Pretty good wisdom. We have so much time. Some of us in the room like so much time. We're still in our teenage years. Others of us at the end of, we're not sure how many more years and decades we have left. Everyone in this room has been gifted and you have time at your disposal. But get going, knowing, secondly, living in love. Look at verse 9 through 20. I'm not going to read it again. These are the behaviors of the new faith. These are the action steps of the faithful. And just to call it out there because there's so many verbs and words about what's happening from knowing our giftedness and then it actually impacting our life. We listed it here in your bulletin. The blast and never lack and don't repay evil and be joyful and feeding others and be devoted. Paul's just like, man, this is what it's about. I spent a lot of time, says Paul, in this long letter that I've penned you to know that it's God's grace that has saved you. And now I want to encourage you. You have time, but get going. Live a life by love. Love must be sincere. This was my wedding verse that we had read 20 years ago. Love must be sincere. Hate what's evil. Cling to what is good. What's interesting in the translation, in the ancient Greek, there's, there's actually not a, there's not a verb here. It's, it's actually just two words. Love sincere. Love being a noun here, though it can be a verb in other places. And sincere. Love sincere. Paul's like, love sincere. Love sincere. Live your life sincere. May your life be marked with Christ sincerely. And when it is, then the stuff that you think about will change the way that you're actually behaving. No more false dichotomy of orthodoxy, orthopraxy, says Paul. This is the Romans road. The stuff you know impacts the journey you walk. And a life marked by Christ is a life saying my behavior starts to look like him. Love sincere. Love sincere. 
And again, it's absolutely consistent that it will be a struggle. Look at verse 9. Hate what's evil. Look at the end about binding evil. Do not be overcome by evil. Paul's saying he's not promising to the church here in Rome, it'll be easy. It'll be good. It'll always be good. He's like, no, it'll be hard sometimes. But I want to highlight here verse 12. I want you to key in. Look at verse 12. Now, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Joyful. All our roles must be done with joy. You can do the stuff of faith, and we're talking about behaviors, but without joy marked in your heart, you're going through the motions. Don't do Christian behavior with a heart that's not trying to be more joyful like Christ. You are not serving anyone. How do I know? Because I make this mistake all the time. My wife gets migraines a lot, and sometimes I'm going to do the Christian thing, like, yep, I'll care for you, yep, I'm doing everything, but in my mind, Christian joy, not so much. No, in my mind is the martyr. In my mind is the guy that's not getting taken care of on my own. In my mind is somebody that feels sorry for myself. Remember, I was raised by Norwegians. I'm basically just a Viking. We can't get sick. It's impossible. So she gets sick, you know, and I'm like, march up to her room. She's laying in bed one day. I'll take soup. Fine, I say. You know, I go make the soup, and I'm resenting how she wants the soup. It's like, couldn't you just want a granola bar, you know? And then bring the soup. Here's the soup. We walk out. We have this epic fight because I'm like, I brought you the soup. What more do you want? I want to be cared for when I'm sick. It's actually what you said 20 years ago in front of all our friends and family. Now, we can do the stuff, and if it's not marked by joy... We're not serving people. So remember, Paul says it's joy and love that got to flow from these new behaviors. Some of you have all the right words in your relationship, and your heart is really cold and proud. God wants to come to you this morning and say, stop it. Serve out of a perspective of joy. Joyful in hope, patient in affliction, because we will suffer and we will wait for God to show up. Life will be utterly challenging at times. We're not alone in it. It's not just you. I know other people around don't look like they're suffering. It's not you, says Paul. Be patient in affliction, because affliction will come. And then be faithful in prayer. This is how we'll fight our battle. This is how we'll fight. And so as you look at that verse, and we put this question in your bulletin of joyful and patient and faithful, which is the biggest challenge to you right now? Like, I don't know if you're getting this, but like, when I'm coming to you now, when I'm preaching, I want you to be asking yourself these questions. This is supposed to be dialogical, though I have the microphone. As you're listening, you're bringing these thoughts to God. God, which one is the most challenging for me right now? Is it joyful in hope? Is it patient affliction? Is it faithful in prayer? I want this to move you in your pursuit of Christ. So circle it or answer it or hold it here if you're scared to write it down. But which of these is the most challenging for you? Joyful and patient and faithful. And then I also want to look at a second place here from this big list of all these Christian behaviors. Look at verse 20, because at first blush, verse 20 doesn't seem like one of these things is not like the other. Look at verse 20. Uh, On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. Oh, that's good. If he's thirsty, give him something to eat. Fantastic. In doing this, you'll heat burning coals on his head. What? What? Okay, I guess I missed something. 
Because we've been talking about joy and behavior being the, like, you knowing we're gifted and living a life by love, and then all of a sudden, Paul just gets a little bit violent here. Does this mean he's sending our enemies to rot in hell? No. Does he saying, as some scholar said, that when we serve them, we'll make them feel more ashamed? Maybe, but I don't think so. What is Paul saying here? What is this burning coals? I did a lot of digging and thinking and praying over this week, and I'm prepared to bring you my answer. That most of the time in the Old Testament, when coals are discussed in Samuel and Isaiah, most of the time it's metaphorical. There's an actual coal in Isaiah where, remember, it's brought to the prophet's lip and there's a worship thing happening. But most of the time, it's meant passion and about burning. And I think what Paul's saying here is when you live a life by love, you will so stir up the image of God in people. You will so move them because you're loving them that their life can be changed. We're not, oh, I'll serve you. Here's your bowl of soup. Go to hell. No, no. It's like, man, I want, I so want you to experience the love of God with me. I so want you. That's why, that's why we serve muffins to people on the street. That's why we have uh, families fostering kids and adopting. Like, they're not trying to, to, to send anyone burning coals. We're trying to so live a life by love that people are being stirred up by our behavior. I told you that all the pastors of Bethany gathered in Pike Place Market on January 7th to pray over our city and ask God this bold question, what do you have for our future? It's a very beautiful time, one that we spend more time in prayer than any time. And near the end, as we were sharing reflections, Pastor Richard, who's been our senior pastor for 20-some years, he, he got very emotional because he said, you know, as I walked up on 3rd and Pine and their McDonald's, you know, it's kind of a bad part of downtown, and it has been forever. And he said, I walked up there with Prentice, the pastor of West Seattle, and we prayed there. And he said, I, I had this uh, evocative image that I've almost forgotten of being new to Seattle with our baby girl, Christy, and his wife, Donna, some 20 years ago, 20-some years ago, 25 years ago now. And we're walking around downtown, and Third and Pine there was just as bad. It was at McDonald's then, and no offense to McDonald's, but there's, some, like, there's just a spirit of oppression in certain pockets of downtown. And they're walking up, and a homeless man, 20-some years ago, walks up to Pastor Richard and his wife, and they're holding their baby, and the man says, I've got to hold that baby. Now, Richard is like me. He's like, no, burning coals, I'm out of here. But Donna is a lot like my wife. She has this radical heart for loving others. Homeless man, third and pine, I'm going to hold that baby. They have one at the time. It's not like some of you with two, three, or four. It's like, yeah, number four, take them. Like, we're good. (laughs) No, one, when you're super protective still. And she hands him the baby. He hands the baby Christy. A homeless man held the baby. Richard's telling the story. Pike Place, January 7th. Tears coming down his face. 25 years ago, the man's holding the baby just for a moment. And he hands the baby back, and now the homeless man is weeping, and he says, you've brought me the only joy of my entire year. This is the life by love. This is the church on fire for Jesus that's so changing our behavior that people will look at us, not as the perfect ones, but the humble ones, with joy and love impacting the way we live. This is a culture talk, church. Because when we live like that, Man, that that can change the world. That can stoke the 
flames of the Imago Dei in people. I was made for something more. When I see you love Jesus, it reminds me I was made for something more. And this is where Paul ends, do the good together. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And just remember this context. He's talking to the church. There is a battle. And Paul says that here, you know your giftedness, you live by love, and then you do certain things to, to experience the victory in the struggle. There's evil, certain parts of this chapter, there's evil working to overcome you, working in insidious ways. There'll be the struggle. Remember earlier in the chapter, Paul says, do not conform. There are forces so seeking to conform you, but be transformed. We have this false narrative that there's no longer a battle going on. What a sham. And am I the only one? Man, there is a battle for my hope and my joy, but Christ wants me not to say, ah, I don't, I don't know my gifts. He wants me to experience his victory, his hope, his joy, his peace, so that people will look and say, I want that too. So he ends that as we do the good together, that as we walk this out together, as we live in to this Christian story together, that even in the struggle, God's reminding you to overcome evil with good. What is a current struggle? God is reminding you to overcome evil with good. You've been trusted, church, with a gift. Know it. Your life is called to be lived from that place of giftedness. Live it. And then as we seek to kind of experience God's power in our actual struggles, we will do it together. It's got to be together. No one gets out alone. Remember the Christian story. You can't be transformed alone. It's moving us from me to we. This whole, this whole story is not just you and Jesus. It's about our journey together. I got an email yesterday reminding me about how God has given us the power to overcome things together. An email from a man in this church who said, Scott, I'm leaving town. This man, it's anonymous and I can't give you too many details without revealing his identity. But I can tell you that many years ago he suffered a great loss and his life has been spent in complete darkness and depression. But God has given him victory in his life. God has given him victory. He's leaving town because God's doing a new thing and he's, he's writing me his goodbye letter. And he says this, he says, Scott, I can so clearly see God's hand in all of this that God guided me to the morning men's book group last year. And, and there at the book group, he placed me at that man's table. And that man is an inviter. That man has a heart for other people. That man is a good man who wants to see other people experience the truth of Jesus. God led me to Malibu, to the men's camp that we take men every spring, the writer continues, and led me into this discipleship group. Pastor Raul and the other men in the group, they've walked with me through this struggle, through my loneliness, through my hopelessness. And a glimmer of light has started with the idea of a fresh start in a new city and the prayers their encouragement, their counsel throughout. I'm so incredibly happy right now, Scott. And I have this certainty about it that I've never had before. It feels so good. And most importantly, for the first time since I can remember, I have hope in my life. The victory of Christ has already been given to you. We're called, church, to be seeking that out in the midst of the struggle.
And I know enough to know the struggle is real for hope in this room right now. And yet God is reminding us through Romans 12, there is victory. Knowing your gifts, living by love, and doing life together for his glory in this city. Let me say a prayer right now. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this church and this time. Lord God, make us aware of the passion that you so want to awaken us. That God, that we can be people of mercy and kindness, choosing these behaviors of Christian love and sacrifice. Lord God, allow us a radical experience with our giftedness, your love, our DNA, and move us to be living a life motivated by joy and love in the city. And ultimately, God, allow us to be men and women, young and old, that are trying to do the good stuff together, to love well together, to to bring hope together, to bring joy together. Lord God, right now in this room, we pray your spirit would fall into empty hearts together. Lord God, into marriages on the brink together. Lord, for people that are underemployed or under-resourced together. Lord God, may your spirit so encourage. Lord, may you motivate and stir up the passions of our older saints that have the time right now to love a neighbor to serve a child, to be radically obedient. May you tell the story of this church. It was in 2019 when they knew the grace that I had for them and they decided to do the good together. But God, we are here humbly aware that you want to shape and change us to bring victory in our lives. And so this morning we say yes and we cling to the victory that awaits even in the struggle This is how you change the world, God. You change our hearts. You knit us together. We love you. And all God's people said amen. Will you stand with us as we close in song? These questions that are on your bulletin, would you be just thinking through how you would answer them? Would you be bringing your struggles now, seeking victory for Christ in your very heart as we close in song?